Welcome to the Hop and Brew School podcast. I'm Justin Crosley, and joining me today is not Nick Ziegler. I came all the way to Yakima, Washington, to see my friend Nick, and he didn't even bother to show up for the podcast. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting smarter as the podcasts go on. Yeah. Uh, joining me today, Brewing Network listeners, you know him as Beardy. Uh, Warren Billups is my co-host today. Yes. Beardy took the, the, the RV trip with me from Northern California up to Yakima, and, uh, and we made it in one piece. Yeah, we did. I was shocked to learn that there are other shows without me on it. <laughs> right. I thought I was on everything. No, no, no. You still, there's still a couple left without you. Okay. Joining me as my guest today is Blaze Rude, who's the Director of Brewing Innovation and Key Accounts here at Yakima Chief Hops. How are you doing, Blaze? I'm doing great today. How about you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, filling in today, helping us do a dry hopping show without our friend Nick Ziegler. No problem. Happy to be here. You work in the same department with Nick, though, doing the the same sort of research and development that he does. We collaborate together. I'm more in the field. I work directly with customers and manage um, sales for key accounts in the U.S., but also brewing innovations, product development, and uh, brewing trials, particularly brewing trials with my customers in the field. I so see. We collaborate, get data together, and work on projects. Oh, that's excellent. So yeah. you get to go out when you go into the field and, and be there on a brew day and, and help with all things hops. Absolutely. Yep. That's a fun job. Yeah. And I get to help the customers come to town during harvest, check out the hops and kind of get some input on what they're going to brew with over the next year. Okay. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's fun. So I get to do that and work with the growers, work with the brewers, and then see those hops going to beer. Excellent. Now, do you just work with uh, small craft breweries or, or who are your customers? I work with large key accounts across the U.S. And to be a key account, generally it's high barrelage craft focused. I help with some of the larger ones, the AB InBev, the, Excellent. Uh, the Heineken Network, um, Miller Coors. I service those accounts with my team, wow. but also the Sierra Nevadas, Boston Beers, uh, Fremont, Georgetown here in, uh, in in Washington, and then a couple no- notable brewers around the country that might not be huge, but brew amazing beer. Okay. So. I'll take them on as a as a key account, even though they're not huge. So, with us talking about dry hopping today, just to kind of focus in on that, you really see the the gamut then of the amount of hops uh, that these breweries might use. I mean, I have only ever seen a um, a Sierra Nevada size. I guess is probably the largest brewery I've seen. Their hop room, the amount of hops they go through, the amount of hops they might put in a beer. I've never seen the amount that might be dry hopped into like a, a Miller Coors or something like that. Uh, that's a lot of hops. Yeah, they've got a lot of warehouses for raw materials for <laughs> sure. Bet, yeah. Yep. Yeah, their hop fridge is probably just massive at a place like that. Yeah, they're huge. I mean, like that that one you're talking about, Miller Coors, they're in Golden. They have large warehouses and they service there. It's like a hub where all they'll st- stockpile the hops and then ship to all their smaller regional craft breweries too. Okay. So, uh, I don't know if they really brew IPA there. I'm not sure. I don't think so. But they have Mm. all the hops come there, and they send them out, you know, to disperse to their craft network. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So we're actually up here, Beardy and I, for Hop and Brew School. This, of course, is the Hop and Brew School podcast. But uh, we came to the actual Hop and Brew School, which Yakima Chief has been doing for something like 16 years now, uh, which is just amazing. I've never gotten the chance to go. A lot of my friends and brewer friends have always uh, come up, and so I'm excited to be here. Uh, And I assume we're going to learn tons uh, about hops and hopping techniques and how hops are grown. Uh, Is this going to be your first... uh, Hop and Brew School, or have you been here for some time, Blaze? 
You know, I've been here for some time. So this will be, I think, my sixth or seventh in a row. But the first one I went to was in 2008. Okay. That was when I started uh, craft beer, like brewing. Got so it. That's when I started brewing beer. So you were a professional brewer before here. Mm-hmm. Where yep. did you brew, do you mind me asking? Uh, it's small... Uh, brew pub, 10-barrel system called Old School House Brewery. It's in north-central Washington in Winthrop. Okay. If you're in the RV and you got a few extra days, I would go up in that area. Would it's love to. pretty okay. sweet. Okay. So, yeah, it's up in the mountains on the east side of the Cascades. Tons of outdoor stuff to do, and it's kind of a tourist town, but we brew a bunch. You brew, brew a little over 1,000 barrels a year and serve most of it on site. Nice. Love, yeah. su- love fresh on-site beer. Yeah, it doesn't get old. <laughs> What's your background before that? Were you a, a chemist or, or something like that before being a brewer? Yeah, so my degree, it's a science degree of physics and uh, minor in math. So okay, a uh, scientist that didn't decide to go to grad school. Uh, got into soils engineering over on the west side and out of Seattle area. All right. And then had the chance to start a family brewery, a brew pub with my family. And nice. Took that opportunity, gotten, that's how I've gotten this career path and... Started uh, brewing up there back in 2008, left in 2014 to join Yakima Chief um, and learned operations, receiving, harvest, uh, really focused on pelleting and then R&D okay. when I was in operations before sales. So, Got it. So are they, sales. are they the smallest key account that you manage then? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now, there's a, I have yeah. a couple. Oh, my little brother's brewery is maybe a little smaller, but he just, they're a small operation. Mm. So they're a little smaller and he's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Oh, yeah. Some good beer. Yeah. I've been through there. A nice area, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, since we're going to be focusing on dry hopping and some dry hopping techniques today, why don't we define uh, the the formats that brewers use uh, to dry hop? Um, I think, of course, everybody knows that whole flower hops, uh, the the traditional format of hops, um, can obviously be used in dry hopping, um, but probably less often than some of the other formats now. What do you think? I would say so. Maybe with home brewers, they use a lot of whole cone mm-hmm. and carboys, but really I think pellets are the majority of what gets used. Okay. So the T90 format of pellets, uh, something that YCH uh, focuses heavily on here, uh, you think that's the that's the predominant format that people are dry hopping with nowadays? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then another, a newer format that uh, YCH does here uh, called cryo hops, right? Yep. And can you explain to us what those are? Yeah, basically it's a uh, uh, big picture wise, it's a vegetal reduced, like enriched pellet. So our process is, it's proprietary. It's very special. Really what we do is we try to separate the lupulin glands as cleanly and oxygen free as possible and uh, pre- prevent oxidation okay. um, in the process. And then we pellet that lupulin alpha rich portion into, you know, into what we call the cryo hops pellet. I see. So. So really the stuff everyone's looking for when we're talking about uh, dry hopping flavor and aroma. Yeah, most of it. I mean, you're talking about that huge aroma punch and then that, those juicy resinous flavors. Yeah. Okay. Majorities in, in that fraction of the hop. Got it. Do you typically do that in the, say, less noble, more kind of hop varieties that tend people are looking for fruit and not necessarily like, kind of like the spicy, earthy characters? Uh, we certainly have more demand to do that because they're more like the in-style, in-demand hops. But we're capable of really using the cryo process on any on any hop cone. Okay. Some are a little stickier, ickier than others, but we use temperature control to to be able to process. And is this something that uh, every size brewery uses in your experience? Are they all using uh, cryo hops? No, we didn't actually have cryo hops available. I want to say. 
Oh, man, back when I did the research, I did the first research on it was like 2015. And actually at that time, Ziggler was over at uh, BrewDog. And he was one of the oh, ones yeah. I talked to initially about like, oh, what do you think? And, you know, we conceptualized it. And then when he, he started playing with it early on and maybe 16 crop. And I that's see. That's when I really had volumes to like go and experiment with brewers with 16 crop. So it's pretty new. Okay. Um, and as far as percentage of brewers that use it, I oh, mean, I don't really know the number. In my experience, probably a third of my customers do okay. in some aspect and the uh since 2016 that's a pretty fast adoption it must be something that the brewers are really enjoying yeah most of them most of my larger accounts are playing with a small amount to trial it and see you know how how does it work in their beer sure so is it more difficult uh for brewers maybe not more difficult is there an adjustment period for brewers in terms of quantities that you have to use uh, of cryo hops as opposed to just your standard t90 pellets because of this these kind of concentrated glands that you're getting in cryo uh, you know when i do a trial with the customer we usually are pretty close to the flavor match okay um, what i like to do is say hey like take an existing recipe and let's talk about what we can do to, to get that converted, to save you some like liquid efficiency and some yield gains. Okay. And, but there's a few different pieces of the puzzle or, I mean, quality is number one. So quality and sensory, that's what I focus on first and foremost, before we look at anything else is it's like, can we do this trial? And do you like the beer as good or better? Or can you even tell the difference? I see. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between which one's a cryo and which one isn't. Interesting. Sometimes they taste a little different. Um, and then it, it boils down. We were talking a little bit before about like, if you go full on and switch everything over, mm-hmm. usually you'll taste a difference. Okay. But uh, if we talk about converting a recipe and, and what your goals are, then we usually can hit it pretty close. So then what are some of the advantages of cryo? You did just mention kind of a liquid efficiency. So are you using less matter, less mass in, in, in your beer when you're using cryo? Yes. Okay. Yeah, usually what I recommend, so for Whirlpool or late kettle additions and dry hop is cut whatever you'd use for T90 there, cut yeah. that in half. Uh, I see. And wow. it kind of matches up to analytics. Like cryo is usually almost double the alpha, but not always not always double, but oil is almost always double. So uh, aroma intensity when you use half versus T90 is usually very comparable. And this is proven with sensory data trials that we've done of just, you know, cut your T90 dose in half, dose with cryo. Hmm. Interesting. So, Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, then that would definitely lead to a significant liquid <laughs> efficiency. I mean, it there. depends on your system, how efficient that's going to be. You know, mm-hmm. some large brewers have very advanced separation techniques to get hops and liquid separated. Mm-hmm. They might not see as big a yield gain as the small 10-barrel brew house like my old one. Sure. They've yeah. had up to 20% yield gains depending on how hoppy and how it was done. Okay. 20% is a huge number. Usually when I do projects with folks, it's usually in the 4 or 5% range for a yield gain. Okay. Mm-hmm. But over the course of a year, you know, and again, depending on your barrelage, that can be, that's quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it can help you, uh, you know, speed up tank times too. It's centrifuges a little different. That's Ziggler's got a lot of data on that because he used to run centrifuges. I didn't. But okay. From what I'm hearing is you can trim down tank time. Interesting. And, and if you're getting more kegs out of that tank, yeah, you know, you can wait longer before you add another fermenter. Got it. You're getting more out, of, you know, more beer production out of that fermenter. 
So these are really the main reasons someone would be interested in cryo. When I first heard about them and what they are, I was like, oh, well, that's if if a brewer wants really dank beer. (laughs) Just take all the dankest stuff from a hop, put it into a pellet. No. So we've gone down the path of efficiency. We started talking that. Mm -hmm. Initially, when we went down this project, Mm -hmm. when I was doing the research for it, it was all about what can we do to improve the quality of dry hop product? Like what kind of product can we create that's going to enhance dry hop quality? I see. So really it was get all the juicy stuff in one place. And for me, what used to drive me crazy was when I dry hop huge beers with my old process, you know, they could get vegetal over time, especially if you let the hop sit in there cold for too long. Sure. With cryo, you're getting so much of that grassiness out of the beer that you can toe the line of adding a, a lot more hops, getting that big aroma intensity without reaching that veggie, gritty, earthy threshold. Right. So that was really the theory initially. It had nothing to do with yield gains. Interesting. That, that was just a byproduct. Yeah, there's just this yeah, side effect of using cryo was you actually would be racking more beer. Right. Yep. So do you not have the significant differences in flavor pickup? Like you mentioned uh, temper- beer temperature when you do dry hop. Does it, with when you use cryo hops, does that matter less? I'm hearing that, but I don't have extensive trials. So I have brewers, good friends of mine that have been playing around dry hopping colder with cryo mm-hmm. and not getting kind of that earthy grassiness, but still mm-hmm. getting the fruity juiciness out of the cryo because hmm. you don't have that, the grassy vegetal matter sitting there cold. That's when I, sure. when I would historically leach kind of those woody flavors, that would be why. If it's yeah. cold with a lot of hops in there, mm-hmm. it's not, not going to help the beer. Yeah. So. Or at least for the flavor I wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we do this? I want to get into some of the different techniques that different brewers use. I want to talk a little bit about your work in the in the macro brewing world, just because I'm fascinated by that. And we'll get down to, to some of the uh, tips and tricks about how brewers can, can uh, get the most out of their dry hopping. So hang in there. We are live from... Hop and Brew School. We're up in Yakima, Washington for the weekend. I'm looking forward to all of it. We'll be bringing you content from this in uh, subsequent podcasts after this as well. And we are hanging out with Blaze Rude, who's the Director of Brewing Innovation and Key Accounts here at Yakima Chief. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back on the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are hanging out with Blaze Root uh, from Yakima Chief Hops here, and um, he works with our our friend Nick Ziegler. You all know him. He's just not with us today, but will be with us here at Hop and Brew School this weekend uh, when we move on to some other podcasts and topics. But today, we're talking about dry hopping and dry hopping techniques with Blaze. And Blaze, you mentioned in the last segment that you also work with some of the big uh, ABI, the the big uh, macro brewers in the country as well. And I'm curious, do do macro brewers dry hop beer? I mean, I don't think they dry hop Bud Light at 
AB and Beb, but okay. um, their craft network, they definitely do some dry hopping, some extensive dry hopping in their IPA style beers. Got it. Okay. So I was curious some of the differences just just in scale here, right? And I wonder if you can give me an example of a, of a small brewery, maybe the small brew pub that, that you started, uh, and how many pounds might be an average dry hopped beer there, and then one of these, these large scale beers. What would the difference be? I mean, if you look at my old brewery, we had some... Uh, 15 barrel fermenters and we might dry hop those with 20 to 30 pounds um, total okay you know, getting that one and a half two pound per barrel range the big macros mm-hmm. in their ipa brands they're hopping them pretty extensively too two pounds a barrel is not out of the question okay they might be dry hopping a 2,000 barrel tank so where i would be adding 30 30 pounds so, sure you know a couple small bags to my tank, they're yeah. going to be adding thousands of pounds. <laughs> Truckloads. They measure 4,000 pounds in one tank. Yeah. Right. Measured in pallets. Yeah. <laughs> Not pounds. <laughs> yep. Most craft brewers I know, even some of the big ones, um, Russian River, for example, not not a giant, but a good you know mid-sized craft brewery there with their new brewery. Still, still goes up onto the top of the tanks and dumps dry hops in through the top. He had his tanks built that way. Yep. What happens in a macro brewery? How do they get thousands of pounds of hops into a tank? Somebody, some of them do it that way. Okay. Uh, Russian River is a key account, by the way. So Vinny's a good customer of mine. You'll Got it. Probably see him wandering around brew school. Hoping but, to. So uh, yeah, so yeah, he definitely kept his process consistent with what he used to do in their old pub, in their old production brewery, and then now in this large brewery. Yeah. Uh, some large macros do it the same way. Okay. But most of them are going to either have a slurry tank to mix and inject or like a hop cannon to shoot them up there. I see. So, uh, Lagunitas, for example, they're kind of macro-ish, you know, they're sure. big, they're still craft, but yeah, they, they use a hop cannon, but the process of that really isn't that much different. It's just, you have a closed system, less chance of oxygen and nobody going up top. Got it. Yeah, it's hmm. safer. The so. hop cannon essentially shoots hops to the top of the tank so they can fall in. Right? Exactly. And they're dry pellets. Yep. In that delivery system. Yep. Okay. In that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a slurry system would be what a tank that has wort in it to to liquid to get the hops into liquid. Yeah, like you add your hops in there and then bring beer in. You know, oh, then yeah. sort of run run the beer through that. Yeah, tank. put the hops in there, purge it with CO two, then bring beer in there, or it could be uh, you know deaerated water, but most of them probably would use beer. Got it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. To me. I, I saw uh, the new Russian River Brewery, and, and Vinny gave me the tour, and, and he's showing me all this amazing technology built into the brewery. And then we get to the tanks, and he starts talking to me how he just goes over there and dumps hops in. And I kind of made fun of him, just thinking, like, Vinny, all of this technology, all of this you know, advanced processes, and you still just want to climb to the top of the tank and throw hops in. And his idea was... You know what? It works. Don't uh, don't fix it. <laughs> that's what I do, and that's what I recommend. So, I mean, I still think you can very effectively dry hop that way. Okay. Yeah. So, when you go to to brew sites, if they ask your advice, that's still just an easy, highly recommended way to do it. Just throw hops in the top. I mean, big enough tanks. It's you know, you're talking multiple stories to get up there. So, in that case, I mean, the hop cannon would be awesome too. Like that's, I mean, hop cannon versus opening the top and dumping them in. I think the hop cannon is a little safer. Okay. Um, so, I'd probably recommend that for large but for just in general sure dropping hops in i generally wouldn't like to use pumps myself that's i just never had a pump i could really trust to keep oxygen out and good point so in fact i think that's exactly one of the things Vinny had mentioned too was uh, it's just cleaner 
I could, you know, it's purging itself already with CO2 up there. Yep. So, uh, okay. Are, are breweries with tanks that size, are they using agitators at all to, to kind of keep the hops mixed while the dry hopping is happening? S- some of them are, yeah. Okay. Some of them are doing a recirculation loop, you know, where they're pulling off the bottom, going to back into the racking arm to kind of spin the tank. Okay. Which works good for mixing it. Um, again, I've always felt like I could dump them in the top and mm-hmm. manipulate some tank pressures to have good mixing. So And not too worried about them just falling to the bottom and sitting there. No, then. I'd like to rouse with some CO2. So dump them in while rousing with CO2 so you got positive pressure CO2 coming out of wherever you're adding them. Got it. Uh, my small tanks that used to be, have to be through the pressure relief valve, pop that off and dump it in this little valve. But in my newer tanks at my old brewery, we'd have bigger valves. Okay. Get the CO2 rolling in there, drop the hops in so they're falling in through a cloud of CO2. Cap the tank, bring up a little pressure, let it sit. The pressure increases over the next few days, and that worked well for me. Okay. Um, and then also VDK would age at that same time. So Got it. getting good aroma transfer and cleaning up some secondary fermentation VDK. Okay. And in the larger breweries, uh, are they dry hopping in the primary fermentation tank, or is do, you, do they move to another vessel and do it there and then move it again? What's your experience there? Majority in the primary. Just right in primary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Usually they'll clear yeast, get the yeast out for the most part. Okay. And then dry hop. So that's 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 a typical technique. Let's purge uh, the f- a primary fermenter of yeast, and now we dry hop. Normally, okay. yes. If you're going to reuse the yeast, definitely. I see. I don't really know anybody that dry hops and then harvests yeast. So you would harvest your yeast or dump your yeast there's still yeast in there and then drop the hops in at the right time for your process. So, okay. Yeah. There is some variation though on like when the brewers like to dry hop. Uh, some like to dry, start dry hopping as early as like day one or two of fermentation. Some are actually played around where we've added hops at knockout. So you're dry hopped early. Really? And the theory behind that is you got hops in there. You're getting some of that veggie, those polyphenols in there to start breaking down long chain sugars you know, with those hop enzymes and doing that early versus later okay, is, is helpful. But then it's the, what are you blowing off through the rest of fermentation aroma wise? So when you say helpful, because that, that, that process is happening early, we're talking about hop creep, right? Yeah. It might happen later on if the long chains are being broken down later, essentially. Yeah. If you're adding hops mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. sitting for an amount of time, they're going to break down long chain sugars. Right. Now, depending on your yeast health and di- few different factors and activity what temperature you're at yeah they might eat it and they might produce diacetyl at that or vdk at that point sure and how do you deal with that you know so yeah if you get your beer cold and then the vdk is there there's not a whole lot you can do understood big struggle so i would like to try a beer that was dry hopped right with primary fermentation because Mm -hmm. the other the downside being what you mentioned uh you know hop hop aroma being so volatile that you, it would blow off, right? Yeah. I think that's what brewers would be concerned about. Not to mention that maybe they couldn't reuse that yeast. So um, and, and I'd like a, to try one. There's a lot of brewers, especially that are doing the hazies, that think that the yeast actually metabolize some hop oils if the hops are added at the beginning of fermentation. And you even get new hop oils with different fruity flavors and different compounds as well. Interesting. Have you heard that as well, Blaze, mm-hmm. from people? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't brewed a ton of hazy IPAs, and I haven't really focused a lot on, like, biotransformation is mm-hmm. what I think what you're yeah. discussing. And a lot of brewers really like to add their hops, like he's saying, large doses early on hmm. to kind of get that different spectrum of flavor. Sure. Okay. 
So what about a brewery like Sierra Nevada? Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to dry hopping, uh, if, you, if, if you've worked with Sierra, I'm, I'm going to assume. I do. Yep. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So I think most people know, most beer fans know that Sierra has and always has used whole hops in their beer. They, they love using whole hops. Uh, what about on the dry hopping process? Are they still using whole hops there? They're still using some whole hops there and okay. some of their beers and some of their brands, but they're also uh, using the, from us, they do use cryo powder. Uh, okay. Hazy little things, a good example of a beer where they use that. Good beer too. Yeah. That's uh, when the hazy. Awesome uh, beer. I think that was the first hazy beer I liked. Actually, I had a few I didn't, and then I got to that one. I said, oh, okay. All right. This style can work. It's one of the first mass produced ones that is, I've seen in the market and been able to buy dependably on the shelf and have it be tasting pretty fresh. Yeah. It's really yeah. nice. They did it. They did it quite well. So that dry hopping would be a mix of uh, whole cone and cryo, you think? Ooh, I'm not sure if they use whole cone in that one. Got it. Might, might just be. I know they use cryo in that one in the dry hop process. Got it. Okay, and so they have large tanks as well, and I think a pilot system. Are there are there differences in how they dry hop their 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 large uh, brewery beers and their pilot beers? Uh, yeah, yeah. I brewed on their pilot system with them, and we brewed with like experimental hops, or we didn't have access to cones. It's set up for cones, but we brewed experimental it. beers with pellets and had to figure out how to dry hop. Okay, they have like mini torpedoes for the flowers, but to actually get pellets into their pilot system fermenter. It's all hard pipe, so it's interesting. It's not set up for opening the cap and dumping hops in, like you said. Sure, things, you know. So, it's so not you guys set had up. to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Well, let's start with how they do it first, so that we understand. So, you mentioned a torpedo, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, they make a torpedo IPA. Actually, several versions. Uh, great, great beer, mm-hmm. and it's named after this piece of equipment that they call a torpedo. Can you describe how that works? Yeah, I've looked in it before. Um, I think Ken invented it, Ken Grossman, I'm pretty sure. I've definitely seen these torpedoes in action, but really I think the theory behind that is they, it's a vessel where they add the whole cone, mm-hmm. there's screens involved, and then they can recirculate beer through it and get that aroma without getting the whole cones into valves and plugging everything up. Got so, it. Interesting. It's kind sort of, of shaped ca- like a torpedo. Right. So that's what I'd say. It's sort of counterintuitive to the name because it makes me think that it's like this device that shoots the hops into it, but it's just the opposite. So they don't have to do that. Yep. They just run it through it. It's, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a homebrew system, it's like having a hop back, right? Like you would just mm-hmm. sort of recycle, or re- not recycle, recirculate uh, beer through through the hop matter. Yeah, I think it's pretty much like a closed system hop back. So purge, no oxygen. And yeah, recirculating through there. Okay, mm-hmm. but now on this on this pilot batch, uh, they wanted to use some pellets. I wanted to. Use you some did. Pellets. <laughs> <laughs> you had to convince them to. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so yeah, how to dry hop properly there? We we ended up doing a slurry, but that was kind of a creative process using their yeast brinks, just making a slurry and a half barrel yeast brink and shooting it in the tank and. Okay. We did that. It, it worked great. It didn't the plug up there. Awesome. You didn't. I would have felt bad if I was you and I plugged up their system. With you. <laughs> I was worried about it because they're hard piped and small pipe. So like it's a 10 barrel pilot brew house. It's state of the art, but it's small. Yeah. And not really set up for dealing with sludge. Right. So, but it, it worked well. And so, this was with cryo? This was not cryo. Just T90? Yeah. Okay. This was actually with an experimental variety. I brewed with them. Uh, we actually had it last year's hot and brew school. Uh, 630 is the variety. It's one of my favorites in the program. Uh, You'll have it at Hop and Brew School this year. It's in the the loop, the first in the loop beer. Okay. It's a collaborative brew with us and Bailbreaker. 
Excellent. So you'll, we'll send you with some of that for your travels. Can you describe what uh, characteristics it has to you? For in the loop? Uh, in the, that beer, the, the that six, 630, is that what you said? Yeah, 630. Yeah. I mean, in, in pellet or uh, raw hop, you know, cone form, it's got like really good like cherry, candy, a bunch of different notes. It's pretty complex. Okay. In the beer, what I get is a little bit of that, but a lot of like ripe, ripe on the edge of overripe orange, which okay. I really... It stands out for me with, uh, you know, with some of the other big hops, and I like that. I like that it can add complexity and not get covered up by mosaic. Like yeah, it can compete there. Okay, so I like that one. And uh, if you want to try it, that uh, yeah, that in the loop beer, I think. Uh, I'm writing it down. I'm gonna make sure. I, I haven't this. tasted it yet. It's just getting. It just got transferred in carb today. So I'm cool. Go cool. Out. I'm going to Bailbreaker today to try it out. So nice. So was Sierra worried about when they liked the pellet? beer on the pilot batch how you were gonna have to come back and set up their pellet addition <laughs> system on the big tanks no no they're still staying away from pellets uh oh, okay yeah cryo included they they're hardcore about that those pellets yeah no they're cool with cryo because it's a really gentle process so okay. they're cool with using it there but they don't you know they there's some aspects of pelleting they're not a huge fan of so okay i personally am fine with it i Good. like pellets i use almost all pellets and every yeah, pellets or extracts what i use got it so is cry now I'm curious about cryo too if if it's more difficult or even different to use than than T90 in terms of a process. I mean when you talk about the breaking up of the I just picture more of a powdery difficult to use product. Is it not really different? Oh, in the powder form, it's a major pain in the ass to use. Oh, so it does just come in powder form no. too. I didn't even realize this. Ah. No, there are very few customers have it in powder form, but one very large customer requires it in powder form. So no we do kidding. make it in powder hmm. for them. Okay. So we're talking about Sierra. Uh, most everybody else uses cryo pellets, which it's just the powder that's pelleted. Um, it's kind of a pain to pellet, but we've designed our equipment to handle it. And okay. then you just use them like type nineties, just not as much. You use half of what you would type 90 for, for aroma application. So there's no problem with it then just, you know, becoming gummy or, or anything like that. I mean, if you let them sit out and warm up, they get a little gummy. If you're going to let them sit out, warm up and then try to shoot them in a hop cannon with a straight up 90 degree angle, it might plug up there. But as long as you got, if you're a large brewery and you got long sweeps for your hop cannon, you know, it's a hop cannon. High pressure vessel on the ground, load it with hops, purge it, goes up almost like, you know, a blow off arm, but you need a long sweep. You can't have it just go okay. the corner sure. or it, you will plug even with type 90 pellets. Cryo hmm. will plug a little bit easier there because it's sticky. It's almost yeah. double the resin and oil content. So as long as your system's set up properly, you shouldn't have any problem at That's all. No problem. What about dumping off of the tank? Does the cryo sludge or the, what settles out at the bottom of the fermenter when you're dumping the hops? Oh, How does that compare to good T90 question. pellets? That's a good question. It packs a little harder and a little faster in my experience. If you crash your tank and you put some mm -hmm. pressure on it, it'll drop pretty quick. Mm -hmm. If you do that and you come back five days later, you might be, you know, monkeying with the valve, might be a some hot stiff. water on it to okay. get it to clear. But it, just depending on your dumping regime, it shouldn't be that much different. It is finer. So mm -hmm. all the particles in the cryo are fine, so they do pack tighter. Yeah. But then the idea being that it might not have to sit there for five days. Uh, so you might Totally. Only, yeah, and it wouldn't yeah. be quite so bad. You just need to be aware <laughs> so that you do, that way you don't create a layer of cement at the bottom of your tank. Right, yeah. So that way you can keep dumping through the rest of your process. It, exactly. And in my experience, too, like, so, yeah, it drops a little faster. 
And honestly, what I see normally when I brew with it is I have a little less of that like secondary fermentation because you're adding less vegetal material. All right. So your aging process is, it's a little quicker. Yeah. You don't need to let your beer sit warm for five, six days to clear VDK. Okay. Some breweries are, are more than that. Yeah. But you know, it's, you, you, you still need to check it. Okay. You can still have that secondary ferment. Okay. Well, our producer today is Corporate Alex. He's been hanging out helping us with the show. And he's letting me know that Hazy Little Thing uses uh, Citra Cryo in powder, as you mentioned, Blaze. are the only ones. Don't go, don't go writing in right now that you want powder just because Sierra has it. <laughs> Blaze has already made it clear this is a special Sierra Nevada situation. Mosaic Cryo Powder. Um, and then Simcoe, El Dorado, and Comet. A lot of different hops in there. All of those are also the cryo hops? I don't know that those are. Nope. Oh. Those are going to be back to uh, either T90 or, or flowers maybe in the not, hazy. Definitely not T90. So oh, right, maybe yeah. back to whole flower for, for the Simcoe, Eldorado, and Comet. Uh, I'm not sure. I think the Simcoe's probably, maybe, I think it's a combo of powder and flowers. Okay. Well, now I'm going to have to get Ken we're on the giving show it, yeah, we're, up. <laughs> we're giving <laughs> away the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not telling anybody the uh, their exact techniques or how much they're using, are we? So uh, that'd be a tough beer to recreate, um, but it's, it's definitely a good one. Uh, okay. So what about when you're out doing the R&D or helping brewers start to use cryo, I assume you're you're doing this somewhat gradually. Are you, let me rephrase the question: Would you make a beer that was a hundred percent dry hopped with cryo, or would you always have some form of T ninety or, or or whole flour to mix in there? That's a good question. Usually, I have a little bit of T ninety in the dry hop, but I definitely have brewed where I keep T ninety on the hot side and cryo fully for the dry hop man i'm happy with those results got it so you got to have the t90 somewhere okay in my experience in, somewhere in the beer just maybe not at the end yeah 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 okay yeah. so I, I usually would prefer to keep t90 on the hot side okay where possible and then dry hop mostly cryo all right um and and why is that t90 is there some of the plant matter that just you, you think does well in the beer that needs to be there yeah you talked to ziggler about this we kind of feel like there's this polyphenol throat hit is that's his term for it and that's exactly what i think of it it's just a roundness to your beer hmm. uh, not astringent but just it just adds another dimension to make sure you got some veggie material in there okay i want to get rid of all of it in my experience yeah uh, but yeah i do like to keep Mostly cryo in the dry hop. Interesting. It, I feel like it. Uh, it's just quicker. You get aroma transfer fast, and part of that is I think it's just less muddied up with secondary fermentation in VDK. Okay. Would you Would you recommend using it as a, in a ratio for your bittering addition as well, kind of to get the same benefits of like a hop extract, so that way you don't get the vegetal matter and increase yield for your bittering um, additions. Yeah, I would use. I would recommend if you're going to use it for bittering to use a brewing calculator based on alpha to really hit your BUs accurate. But really I don't recommend don't, don't spend all your cryo on bittering. I'd definitely save that for whirlpool dry hop. And I, mm -hmm. I like to bitter with a CO2 extract. I'm super confident in it. Hmm. Okay. Works quite well. Uh, but I still want to have a little bit of edgy material in that kettle. Okay. So, so what would that look like? You, you might use some of the hop extract as your bittering addition just, just to get bitterness and maybe some like mid range to late boil. You'd, you'd use some, some hop matter, some T90, yeah, something yeah. like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you use the, the extract, 
does that have to go in at the beginning of a boil or can you put that almost anywhere and you're getting bitterness? I'm curious about that. Um, I mean, most efficient isomerization would be, you know, hypothetically longer the boil. So you the still more. need it to boil, basically. Yes. I will say this. I mean, you can use some CO2 extract for your aroma addition as well. Oh, yeah. But I definitely want it to be boiling to do that. Or if you had a hop doser, maybe you could recirculate and get it to disperse. You don't want to just dump it in and have a big oil slick on top because it's not really dispersing. Got but it. But if you're boiling for five to ten minutes for kind of a late kettle but not whirlpool addition, extract works great there. Really? If I mean, we have variety-specific, Mosaic, Simcoe. They were good in okay. my experience there. Years ago, I saw that uh, you could get pre-isomerized hop extract. So that mm. way you were adding IBUs just from an, an extracted hop oil. Just so, wherever in the process. You'd right, still you want could to dry disperse hop with it, it, but... Yeah, you could dry hop with it essentially and add IBUs to a finished beer. Yeah, we have... We make products, downstream products, called ISO or Tetra. Tetra's mm-hmm. got some foam implications too, but they're both pre-isomerized. So you can... I definitely have got the email from a customer going, oh, man, I forgot to add my bittering addition. My beer is <laughs> yeah. not bitter enough. Do you have any for me? I'll say, this is what we, yeah, we got ISO. <laughs> if I'm a brewer calling you that question, I'm like, so asking for a friend. Right, I yeah. forgot to put the <laughs> my bittering addition in. Yeah. And is there some way you can help me? <laughs> yep. I've got that a few times. Right. And, it, and it works. Yeah. Yeah. It works. I definitely don't want to get more than like 20 or 30 IBUs from an addition like that because those products are a little they're not built to get 60 ibus from a okay pre-isomerized they're okay you know, they're, they're made for macro <laughs> oh i see yeah okay but listening to you describe how you'd use the different products if so if you had a brewery right now and i was going to your brewery and i'm i'm guessing uh you know and i ordered i i tell you i'd like a nice hoppy ipa i like a lot of hop aroma a lot of hop f- flavor Give me some firm bitterness uh, i'm not ordering your new england ipa i want a good west coast ipa from you I'm guessing I would be surprised at how little hop matter I might find in your brew house after that brew is made, right? Because almost all the processes you've just been describing require far less hop material. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If if I was going to brew a really nice hoppy IPA these days with just T90s, that'd be five pounds per barrel. What I'd rather do is keep one pound per barrel of T90 in there Mm -hmm. and then maybe replace the other four pounds per barrel with two pounds per barrel of cryo. So we're getting you know, about half, or we could even go more and do some extract in there. So it's, sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, w- uh, would you dry hop extract as well? No, none of that. <clears throat> Why not there? So you need temperature to really get it to disperse. Understood. Okay. Now, there is products out there where there's like flowing agents added. We haven't went down that route yet. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we produce CO2 extract. We believe in it. It's a very nice process, but we don't like adding anything to the extract yet. We do break it down into its components or isomerize it for macro customers. Okay. But um, CO2 extract on its own is just super clean. All it is is hops and CO2. Sure. So. Okay. But, yeah. So all of these, so extract, and let's let's focus just on cryo, I guess, for this question. You're telling me I can use less of it and get the same um, uh, benefits. Uh, am I, is it okay if I ask, does it, does it cost me less too, or because of the process, it, it, it might cost the same as a large edition of T, a T90? Depending on your brew house, it may or may not cost okay. you more or less. Um, in general, small, smaller brew houses that don't have like really advanced separation techniques, mm-hmm. it usually saves you money in terms of you know, the amount of 
extra beer that you're going to recover. Oh, right. That makes sense. Then additionally, if you're able to see some process efficiencies, not just yield gains, but you're able to turn beers faster. Yeah. Then that's very beneficial. So okay. in, in the long run, it's, it's a cost benefit for most smaller brewers and it is a cost benefit for a lot of larger brewers too. Got it. But not every single one. So some of them, the yield part is, it just depends on the recipe and the equipment you have. Got it. Are there particular varieties uh, of hops that lend themselves better to the cryo process than, than others? Do you, have you guys found that there's certain ones you really like to use in the cryo process? There's certain ones that process easier, hmm. definitely. Uh, not every lupulin gland is going to be the same texture, the same stickiness. I, was, I spent a week on the road with our cryo manager last week, Salvador, and he hmm. was explaining to me how Sabro is almost like Play-Doh. Oh, really? So if it warms up, I mean, it's like sticky, icky, gooey, gooey, more than other other brands. Interesting. So process-wise, yes, there's some varieties that process easier and more efficiently on our system. Okay. Um, in terms of what in the beer, you know, there's a couple varieties I strongly prefer to use, Cryo versus T90. Like what? Equinot is one of the main ones that I really like in Cryo form. And I struggle with a little bit in T90 form because it's it can get overly spicy. I see. And through the cryo process, it gets more emphasis on the tropical berry juiciness. And yeah. some of that veggie, spicy, pepperish note get kind of filtered out. So I strongly prefer that one in cryo. Okay. Interesting. Especially for dry hopping and really for hot side too. I see. Are there any uh, brands that you that you guys won't won't cryo? Sounds like maybe Sabro should make that list, but <laughs> no, the Sabro is actually one I prefer in the cryo form as well, the you flavor. Do. So I think we're going to continue down that road, even though I, I think what they do, I'm not, don't, I guess I'm getting quoted on this, but I think they manipulate the temperature to make it a little easier to process. I see. Yeah. Is the cryo name a reference to the fact that this process typically happens cold? Cold with liquid nitrogen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to get these things to separate. Is with those temperatures or that's the most efficient way to get it to separate. And it, what it does is, you know, it kind of say it kind of glasses up the leafing gland. So then you can move it around where you want it to go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where, and for processing efficiency, lupulin's really sticky. If you try to process hops warm, I mean, the stuff gums up. I see. And to really get the separation and keep the plant from shutting down from stuff sticking and getting clogged up, you get, we have to run really cold. Got it. Okay. Did you guys develop this process here? Um, we, yes. Yeah. Uh, we honed it here for sure. We definitely did some research outside of here at different labs. Sure. And got, played with different equipment before we fabricated our own, we, we make our own equipment to do it. Cause they're doing some of these things in the, in the, in the cannabis world. Um, and I, one thing I was thinking, because you guys are talking about temperature, um, I think I remember a friend of mine saying that he was using butane or something Ooh. to to try to I know exactly this is why I'm bringing this up and that there was um yeah they were using basically some form of butane in order to get the extract that they were looking for this probably is more of an extract question than a what than a than a than a cryo but I just thought of that I was like well god I don't ever want to smoke that that just sounds like the worst thing I've ever heard <laughs> you've uh, already you're not using concerts. any chemicals like this in your process here no. Yeah. No, not at <laughs> all. So. I love how you're looking at me too. Like that also sounds crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know a guy, I'll say, I know a guy when he goes into the cannabis stores here mm-hmm. to get his vape pen cartridges. Yeah. He 
asks them is a CO2 extraction and looks for that on the label. Okay. So that we're not getting the, the butane or hydrocarbons. I see. So really what you're talking about, yeah, in the cannabis industry, there's, I mean, CO2 extraction requires very like high pressure system, yeah. which we have built for hops. Yeah. Uh, butane is different. I don't have a whole lot of experience, but there's some dangers involved. Yeah. It's not as high a pressure, but it's flammable. Yeah. Um, and there's trace amounts of hydrocarbons that stay in that product. So what we and do be, yeah. is not like that. What we do is CO2, high pressure CO2 extraction. I'm okay. talking like that we do what's called supercritical, which is um, if you look on a graph of pressure versus temperature, there's mm-hmm. the, for, for CO2, there's this range where it's really efficient where the CO2 has properties of liquid and gas. It's called supercritical. So for Got us, it. we're, I want to say that's 105 degrees Fahrenheit and like 3,000 pounds of pressure. So we have these really high rated pressure tanks so where we can efficiently pull out all the resin. So what we do is we flow in CO2 very high pressure, mm-hmm. specific temperature, and then we leave the veggie material behind and we pump that supercritical CO2 resin slurry. Then we off-gas it and we use CO2 as the solvent mm-hmm. versus a nasty chemical like butane. Mm-hmm. And it flashes off and the CO2 is gone and what, all you're left with is the is the grease, the good hmm. stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll pellet and send the rest of the, the spent, we call them spent hops, they go to cattle feed. Okay. So, it's oh, very efficient process. And actually, we even recover our CO2 now. So we're wow. pulling that off and filtering it and reusing it okay. as much as possible. You know, so. Well, that is exactly what I was hoping to hear. And, and, no I, butane, and I assumed, <laughs> but I just wanted to double check. Yeah. Butane free, man. So, But <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're going into the cannabis stores up here, I would definitely recommend. Ask. You. Yeah, it usually says on there, how did they extract this? Yeah. It could be distillation. Yeah. It could be butane extraction but there's not much of that anymore there's been safety issues fires but in the early days up here that that was very common okay all right good to know good advice as well in hops none of that there's definitely i don't know anybody that extracts hops with butane it would would probably work but but nobody none of the big players do it at all well and just think about that nobody we don't nobody wants that in our beer no Uh, so (laughs) or in my lungs for that matter but certainly not my so and the nice thing about CO2 extraction is like it's a byproduct of fermentation too. So you're not really adding anything that's not right. natural. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that's been really messed with. Sure. CO2 extract in its own form, it's not isomerized. You have to boil it to get your bitterness. And okay. We, we process it kind of cold, as cold as possible, just at the right pressure to efficiently pull it out. I see. Then you got to cook it just like you would in a, you know, with a T90 pellet to get your bitterness. Sure. Okay. All right, why don't we do this? I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about some, maybe your best practices or, or your, your best little tips and tricks on uh, how, how I might dry hop, what I might use to dry hop, things like that. You down? Yep. All right, we'll take a very quick break. When we come back, more with Blaze Rude on Hop and Brew School Podcast. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We've got a few minutes left to spend with Blaze Rude here at Yakima Chief Hops, and I wanted to get into some of your, uh, you know, best practices in in dry hopping and your experience with all the brewers you've you've worked with and yourself. Um, and maybe we could just start in the in the interviews I've done. Whenever dry hopping comes up, um, the the key factors that brewers tell me. Once you've decided on what uh, hop brand or variety you're going to use, once you've decided on the format, um, you, time and temperature are, are what, what vary between, between brewers. Um, not just the amount of time 
a beer might spend on dry hops, but but what time in the process they're 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 put in. So could you kind of maybe give us an overview of that area and then and then lead us into what what you would do your your best practices? Can you repeat the question one more time for me? Sure. I can tell you what I would do or what I normally do. Yeah. I, I didn't get the first part of the question. Well, I'm just curious about how time and temperature really affects dry hopping and, and maybe, you know, a little bit of what you've seen. Have you seen large variations in, in how brewers decide on time and temperature? Yes, I okay. definitely have. So time and temperature, let's talk about that. So time could be a couple different things. What time in the process are you adding the dry hops? Mm-hmm. Brewers have started to shift to dry hop a little earlier to help mitigate hop creep and also aid in some biotransformation. Okay. So that's one piece of time. The other piece of time is how long are the hops in the beer warm before you crash it? That's probably more what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, you know what I normally see is in that five to six day range. Okay. Um, Into fermentation or how long the hops are? How long the, the hops are in there okay. normally. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, my best practices that what I would do really depends on your system it depends on your yeast strain and how quick they mop up vdk but in general i would dry hop towards the tail end Mm -hmm. um you know maybe one and a half two play-doh from where you think the beer is gonna end up fermentation maybe starts to slow add them then that's when i normally would add mine all right then fermentation will keep going a little bit and really when to crash them that i would say as soon as possible after the vdk is gone so for mm-hmm. me and my old brewery, that would be five to six days to be safe. Okay. But if I had the lab equipment and I could measure VDK, I You'd would crash based on that. Interesting. Yeah. So my timing would be how quick does it take for secondary fermentation to take off, finish, and then VDK to drop under threshold, then crash. Got it. Do you leave the hops in while crashing or do you separate the hops out as much as possible before crashing? I prefer to dump the yeast and the hops that have settled. So mm-hmm. what I, let, let's back up. So one of my big pieces with dry hopping is I like to add the hops usually to the top of the tank, whether it's a hop cannon or me going up there and dumping them in. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's my normal practice. And then I like to apply some pressure to the tank. And when I'm talking applying pressure, I'm talking, you know, maybe four or five pounds of pressure. Still fermentation's going on. So essentially I've closed my airlock, bung the tank, and it's going to start to climb. What happens when that happens is hops actually start to subtle. Hmm. They they will start to drop gradually in your beer. Okay. So when it comes to crash time, I have a pretty decently packed cone at the bottom. Even though it's still warm, those hops aren't really floating around too much anymore because my pressure might be like 11 pounds, 12 pounds. And then I'll dump that cone at time of crash. Really more worried about grassy, woody, earthy flavors from the hops, hmm. but also the yeast that are still in that tank. They've been sitting warm for a while and, you know, uh, under under a weight of beer, you don't want them dying and getting all the leases going. So I'd like to get them out of there just to keep yeasty flavors out of the beer. Got it. And then, the, so essentially I'd dump that at time of crash. And usually I would come back and dump it again the next day and then the next day and then transfer it. Until it's clean as you can get it. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody dry hop cold? And if not, why? why? Yeah, people dry hop cold. They do. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's mostly warm, as we're talking about here, right? And then you crash after, like we're describing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to talk temperature, let me break that down. I mean, think 60 to 7 degree Fahrenheit ferment temp- fermentation temperature. Usually, you're going to get more emphasis on tropical, juicy, fruity flavors at that temperature. Okay. You drop that down to 50, 60, you know, you're going to get kind of a balance between piney, earthy, and some of that, like, citrusy 
Ah. Flavors, probably less tropical, less fruity. Okay. And if you go under 50, that's where I think is the danger zone for grassy, earthy, Ah. veggie. Okay. Now, some brewers want to get that grassy flavor. A lot of old school beers are brewed that way, dry hop cold, and they want that. But in this day and age, most beer I come, you know, go to a bar and get, it's going to be dry hopped warm Mm. with the emphasis on those fruity, tropical, citrusy flavors. Okay. So. Got it. All right. So... In your brew house, you would dry hop toward the end, mm-hmm. day or two left in fermentation. Yep. Um, if you could measure VDK, you'd uh, you'd wait to crash the beer till then. Yep. Um, so uh, if you can't, then um, you know you're talking four or five days here for you is your. If you can't measure. It could be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It could be more like six, seven days, depending okay. on what, you know, yeast health and different things. For me, it was usually six, about six days was we'd put the hops in and we'd crash six days later. And a lot of that was based on just trials. That's what worked good. Okay. Efficient aroma transfer, but also diacetyl is gone. So if you sure. can't measure VDK, like with a GC or however uh, you want, or distilling, mm-hmm. You can certainly heat up, microwave a sample, and then smell. Because it's not just the diacetyl that's there. It's the the precursor. That's when VDK is diacetyl and the precursor. So you want to convert that to diacetyl and then do a sensory test. So So if you took a sample off your tank and you put it in a microwave just to warm it up to what temperature does it? What are we talking here? Shoot, man. Ish. You know, we don't want to boil it. Maybe I've read 110, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I've read you want to be somewhere close to 140 for a, a few minutes. I think it's efficient. Yeah. That. yeah. To, to get efficiently converted all the VDKs that are going to turn into diacetyl yep. converted, then you chill it back down to ambient temperature. So you can even do like a, a controlled sample right off the fermenter and then just compare the two. I see. Looking for the diacetyl compounds. Got it. Great. And what I will mention on that is if you're going to do a sensory based. You need to have either somebody who's super sensitive to it. That's mm. your judge of it. Mm-hmm. If you're not, or have a, have a panel. Yeah. Like you can't, it's sensory is king when it comes to yeah. beer quality. Can we emphasize this point just for my sake? Because I like beer that doesn't taste like diacetyl. Because there are mm. brewers out there who are clearly, I, I think they're good brewers, but are clearly not sensitive to diacetyl. And I think that they're the ones doing some of their sensory. And I think it's good advice to maybe learn about yourself if you're sensitive to these things or not. Yes. So that I don't have to be rude and tell you that your beer has diacetyl <laughs> in it when I taste it. Uh, and many aren't doing the VDK tests. And so they taste the beer out of the fermenter and think, oh, it's fine. And then send it on. Sure. And so it might it, not be there yet. Right. The VDKs are, but the diacetyl is not. And mm. so they send it into the cold room or the bright tank serving vessel, whatever. And then a week later, oh, hey, <laughs> now I have diacetyl. Yeah. yeah. Can't but, get rid of it at that point. Right. Yeah. Nothing you can do. Okay. And with this this hypothetical beer of yours that we're talking about, would be dry hopped with a hundred percent cryo for you, or would you put a little T ninety in there too? I mean, if I had if I had all the varieties I wanted in cryo form, then yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay, you yeah. wouldn't mind doing that. Okay, mm-hmm. no. Nope. All right. So the only T ninety somewhere though, if, as long as that was on the hot side or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm pretty cool with that. Yeah. Okay. Some and, brewers would would disagree. They'd rather have some T nineties in there too. Got it. Do you know how many approximately uh, varieties or brands are available in cryo right now? Ooh. Ish. Got to be a dozen. Some and, uh, yeah, got to be like right a right dozen. Yeah. I think we'll have a couple more added this year. We've, we've recently added cool. Azaka, Idaho 7, and El Dorado to our por- portfolio. So we're going to run some of that in cryo this year. Nice. Okay. 
Any other best practices or tips I should know? I mean, shoot, man, when it comes to dry hopping and VDK hop creep, mm-hmm. yeast health is huge. Okay. So that, I mean, when it comes to mopping up diacetyl, it's making sure your yeast can do it, you know, further down the line, they might not be able to. So okay. making sure you have a good sensory program and you pick up when your yeast is starting to slow yeah. with that. But yeah, yeast health is, it's major when it comes to that okay. portion. So. And of course, this the you know this hop creep that we're talking about is really only matters with with heavily dry hopped beers, right? Uh, otherwise, we're we're not too concerned about hop creep. I mean, any dry hop beer, I think you should be a little bit concerned about it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Any amount. But higher dry hop, it's it's gonna it's gonna be more significant. Okay. Just out of curiosity, the have you? Uh, found that the big brewers are, are dealing with this as well with with the sheer amount of hop matter they're putting in beer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I talked to one last week that was, I mean, it's it's added an extra week to their process. Wow. You know, for, to have to deal with letting diacetyl drop mm-hmm. or VDK drop. Yeah. Okay. I was surprised. It was, it was, it was long? longer than I've heard. It was the longest I think I've heard. Okay. And do you think it was possibly due to the, just the sheer volume of, of hot matter that was going in there? Or? I think so, yeah. yeah. And, the, you know, the form, it was mostly T90, I think, in that beer. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. But it is also yeast strain dependent and How well. quick it mops up, I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. But the, the VDKs themselves are more tied to the hop varieties. Uh, no, it's yeast strain too. Some produce, I think, more and some mop up differently. Mm-hmm. So if you have a really fast flocking like English ale strain that flocks out but then slowly makes the diacetyl <laughs> but doesn't mop it up fast, that's a problem. Okay. Yeah, yeah whereas like I used to use the Chico yeast and it would mop fast. I see. Because it didn't flock that good. You know, it flocked okay. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so just stuck around in solution just enough mm-hmm. to, to clean up a little better. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that about covers our, our dry hopping for today. You think, Blaze? I think so. It's, uh, what I love about this topic is uh, we, we're going to be able to revisit this on the Hop and Brew School podcast multiple times because there's just so many different things we could talk about. I mean, we hardly even talked about – I didn't even get into what your favorite uh, dry hop varieties might be. So uh, we'll get Nick back on with you another time, and we'll just dive back into this. That sounds great. Uh, I do want to mention, since we're uh, uh, talking about all of these products and, and hops, that um, if you haven't been paying attention, you can now buy hops direct from Yakima Chief through the website and the app. Uh, go to your favorite app store and search Yakima Chief. You can download the app. It's beautiful. We talked about it during our HomebrewCon uh, podcast, which we've just recently published. Uh, so you should go get that. You can uh, order hops online and get them sent to you direct, uh, which is just a, a cool thing if you don't have a, a local homebrew shop that you frequent or your favorite spot uh, doesn't mean you can't get your favorite YCH hops by going to yakimachiefhops.com um, is it just yakimachief.com it's probably both isn't it Alex yeah <laughs> um, get everything you need over there Beardy thanks for doing the show with us today oh you're very welcome thanks for letting me crash your party yep I'm glad you made the drive I'm glad our RV made it I'm glad we made it yeah, <laughs> yeah. now we're going to park it somewhere on YCH land and you can Alex I guarantee you're going to get calls from security not because we make noise but because the RV is a little vagabond looking <laughs> a little is an understatement <laughs> 
pieces fall off all the time, <laughs> yeah. someone's going to be like, uh, they definitely don't belong here. <laughs> uh, we're happy to be here. I'm excited about Hoppin' Brew School. We're going to bring a, um, a couple more episodes from the weekend to you. We're going to be talking to some great people. We'll have Vinny Chilerzo on the show here soon. So stick, uh, stick with us here on the Hoppin' Brew School podcast. Blaze, thanks again. It's fun having talking to you, having you on the show here. Um, and I'm looking forward to learning more from you. Right on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. All right. We will see you next time on the Hop and Brew School podcast. Take care of yourselves and your beer. Yeah.